All right, everyone, this meeting is now being recorded. Welcome to the Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Um, governance and control meeting. My name is Robin Kennedy, and I'll be your host for this journey tonight. And what we're going to look at is the policy governance framework that's been created for the internship. Um, same rules as last week. If you if your answer is yes, type a one in the chat window. If it's no, type a zero. And if you have a question, a question, just type a question mark. Everybody get that? One, 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 one. Finally, <laughs> I'm holding my breath. So tonight we're going to go over the framework and what it, this policy governance framework is designed to be the overall command and control document for how we create, manage, and implement policies at this internship. So at PGIP, at the company. So if you think about going out to work in a, an IT shop in the world and you think you're just gonna get to do whatever you wanna do, wherever you wanna do it, that is just not gonna happen. Because just like when you came into this internship and you signed all these, I swear to abide by all the rules, foreign and domestic, right? You're going to have to do that at every company. And what drives that are the company's core values. Policies actually state the company's core values about a topic. So this framework that I'm putting in front of you is how we are going to build those for the internship. And it might seem like an arduous process and what do we need, what, where, when, and how. It really isn't once you understand the framework. So I'm gonna fly through this document and then I actually show you how it's gonna work. So any questions before I get started flying through? Zero, 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 perfect. All right. <laughs> perfect. So the reason that we have policies, right, is to protect our business information and any client and customer information in our custody. We establish safeguards to protect the information resources. We establish the responsibility and accountability because a policy doesn't mean anything to anyone if we don't define who it applies to and who's accountable for its compliance. So we're gonna look at how to do that. Then we, um, the policy governance framework will ensure that all interns maintain an appropriate level of awareness, I'll show you how that works, and then ensuring compliance with applicable laws and regulations. And in this case, our governing body is going to be Purdue University itself. So this framework establishes the program, creates a process for creating, updating, and retiring our policies, explain explains what a control document is, describes the key traits of a control document, describes the key roles and responsibility for effective governance, shows the tools and templates that will support control documents and applies to the information risk office. And this is where I need, um, I'm queuing doc that part of my proposal is to implement what's called an information risk office. And I will go through the process later in this document. So now that we know what the governance framework is about, let's talk about control documents. So a lot of people get confused about the need for a control document. You just create a policy, you put it on the shelf. Yeah, we got one. And if an ISO auditor comes or internal audit comes or external audit comes, then I dust off the policy and hand it to them and say, we got one. 
That's not the case. So policies can be driven by standards and drivers. So this is our house, right? NIST, SANS, ISO, COVID. But policies need to reinforce the business objectives. And for us, it's growth, operational efficiency, brand protection, serving our customers, and then leveraging whatever resources we can get our hands on for 10 to 12 weeks for advanced learning. So I'm going to skip down here. So this is very important hierarchy, and it, it will matter if you work in a, um, a company or a bigger company that has different policy standards and procedures. There's a big difference between a policy, a standard, and a procedure, and a guideline. A policy is the rule of the road. It is the law. A policy explains why a company is taking a specific position. So, for example, if we have a policy on identity and access management, the declarative statements in that policy are going to be high-level statements, and they're going to say PGIP protects identity and credentials, and boom, that's what we do. It's very short, sweet. We do it. It is the why we're taking the position. And this is where people get a little confused because a um, policies rarely change. Standards are really the meat of what we will do in order to comply with a policy. So using the identity and access management example, a good standard under um, an AIM policy would be um, conducting an access review, standard for access review. And in there, it would show what we would do to do the access review, i.e. we do an access review every quarter, a quarterly access review. That access is reviewed by the department manager. After the, the manager reviews it, it's sent to information security, whatever, right? So what the company will do. Procedures explain the how to do it. So we'd need a procedure, which is Joe Schmuckatelli logs in, gets the full access list, compares it to current employees, yes, and decides whether or not they need that current access, makes the tick marks on the spreadsheet, saves the spreadsheet, sends the spreadsheet back to information security. Information security then takes the spreadsheet, compares to the current access, grants or revokes access, and then logs that the access review is done. That's the procedure. So a procedure like that would never go in a policy. The policy said, we need to do information security, we need to control identities. The standard said, we need credentials and we need to do an access review. The procedure explained how to do it. Now, notices, which are different than all of it, and they're rare, which is if there's a sudden change. So if you were to, for example, keeping with our same example, if you implemented the spreadsheet for access review, but then later on down the road, you get an access and identity management tool where you can actually generate an automated report. Instead of changing the policy, you would draft an issue and notice, hey, there's a change in the policy. We're no longer sending you a spreadsheet. You will get a request to enter in the system. So that's the purpose of a, of a notice. An exception. There are times that due to the current infrastructure or due to the way 
um, the company's moving or a new technology's coming in or we're doing this cloud or we're not doing this cloud or we're going to put in this piece of software, we're going to put in Workday. So something about the way we do this policy needs an exception. So the exception process would be very rigorous and it, you would have to explain why you need an exception, why you cannot comply with the policy. You'd have to outline the risks of your non-compliance and then any mitigating factors behind the risks that you identified. Then you would send it up the chain and request, um, request the exception from the policy owner. A guideline, now a guideline's really just uh, a polite way to say procedure. So I put guidelines on there is because when I really originally drew this chart, I drew it for Marriott when I worked at the Marriott headquarters and in internal audit and Marriott's an extremely friendly company. So Marriott, for example, has policies about how far from a customer they could be walking before they have to look them in the eye, which is 20 feet. And then how far um, away before they speak to that guest, which is five feet. And to me, those are standards backed up by procedures. But at Marriott, they made them policies. So I went through with the chief auditor and we created a whole new policy program and laid it out in this pretty little picture right here and just said, okay, everybody, let's get on board. This is what a policy is, this is what a standard is, this is what a procedure is. And, and then had to sell the whole idea to the whole company, it's a big company. The Biden policy. Okay, you left, they get hacked, coincidence? I know, right? Some of my peeps were there too, some, uh, some people that had reported to me at Capital One, I was like, oh no, but they're gone now too. So. The next part of this document, so any questions on the policy hierarchy? This is a very important piece. Any questions on this? Nope, nope, okay, excellent. So the next piece of this document that you can read at your own leisure, put your feet up, get some chips, and just read the five stages of a policy life cycle. I won't bore you with the policy life cycle, which is, the determination a policy needs to exist, designing it, deploying it, managing and supporting the policy, sustaining the policy, and then conducting an annual review and starting all over again. So the next few pages discuss that entire process. So if you're ever tasked with reviewing policies for completeness and effectiveness, look at that. You just learned how to do it. So get some tater chips and something to drink and read my, read those five or six pages. This is what's the most important right now. And I think I'm going to bring it up in a different window in a larger format so I can move around in it better. But what this is, this is the policy approval process. <laughs> yes. Okay, here we go. So in my document, can everybody see that okay? One, some ones and zeros. I'm gonna zoom in to certain spots so we can talk about it. So you see the little gold numbers. I love produce colors. So I use little gold numbers, uh, circles. So can y'all see that now? 
Okay. So these are the steps. And in the document, I actually explain those steps in the table below. So this is very conversational and I explain, okay, in step three, so-and-so does X. So I'm just gonna go through the pictures with you because it's easier to do. So does everybody know what a swim lane document is? A swim lane flowchart. Okay, so if you look at this document from high above, see the horizontal stripes? It looks like you're watching Olympic swimming and there are lanes that people are swimming in. Do you see it? Can you visualize it? In a swim lane document, the very left part of the lane is the owner. So this particular lane, when the gun goes off, the intern will swim in it. In this one, the department manager will swim in, the director, the information risk office, and the information security steering committee, which I need to announce that to later. Um, so if a box lives in or touches your particular swim lane, that's your responsibility. So let me show you how it works. We back out a little bit and I'll zoom in on just the big circle. So a need for a company policy or standard control document is defined. So because I have this step spanning across all the swim lanes, that means a company policy or standard can be defined by anyone. So you see the need for a policy because one doesn't exist, you can bring it up. So what do you do with that? First, you discover if there's an existing policy, okay? You tell the information risk office, and that would be me. This is the part, Doc, I said that was gonna be new. So we need to establish an information risk office, which is governance and risk collapses in this risk office, and right now it's just me, and anyone in the company can identify that a policy or standard needs to be created. So they tell me, hey, we need a policy or standard for X. I say, okay, I look and see, do we have an existing policy or control document for that? If we do, I modify the existing policy. Then I send it to the director, the department manager and the interns to review for impact. It may go just to the department manager. And this is where um, they would determine the, if the policy change would impact everyone and what the nature of that impact would be. And if there's any gotchas around implementation. If there is not an existing policy, then the information risk office creates a draft and does the same thing sends it out to the director, the department manager, and the intern, or just the department managers acting on behalf of the interns, and they review the policy or control document for impact and implementation impact. You can't just say, everyone must use a Mac today. It's a policy. Well, if that policy came down, how many people don't use a Mac, right? 
So everybody with a PC would have to stop and buy a Mac. That's not right. So the impact on that would be high. So we come back up here and we say, okay, you can have a Mac or a PC, but it's gotta be secure. Then it goes to step five, you create an implementation plan. So how are we gonna roll out this policy? What steps are we gonna take? Do we need training? Should we create a one sheet? Do we need a video? How are we gonna get the word out for everyone to embrace and um, abide by this policy? So once the implementation plan is created, then we package, it comes back to the information risk office. See all the works right here in this swim lane? We package it for the ISSC, the Information Security Steering Committee. The members of that steering committee right now are Marjorie, James McClinton, I can't pronounce it, James M, and Christopher Henry. Those three people sit on the committee. So the policy goes now up to the ISSC, to the committee. The committee reviews the package, and if they have any questions, they'll interact back and forth with the Information Risk Office. If they don't approve it, if they say no, then we take their feedback, modify the policy as needed, send it back to the department managers and the director, comes back to me, and then it goes back to the ISSC again. Now, this time they approve it. We vetted it. The policy works, the wording works, it's appropriate. It has accountability defined, it has requirements defined, it has an implementation plan. Everything I covered in the previous pages that I skipped over very quickly, but all the check marks are done, that this policy will work. They put their stamp of approval on it, and then finally they send it to the CIO for final approval. Ta-da, any questions on that process? Wow, I am just batting a thousand. So that's the policy approval process in the swim lane diagram. Now you know that we're establishing an information risk office, which is really me, and the information security steering committee is the, the, the most impactful change that we're gonna do right now, which is we're circling the wagons because we have so much to do around governance and we gotta do it quickly. We don't have to wait for a long period of time for the SWATs to come in or for the, the policies to get drafted or for procedures to get drafted. We don't have to do that. So we're circling the wagons around an information risk office and an information security steering committee. And we're gonna draft these policies, figure out the implementation, get them to the um, departments and the director and make sure y'all are good with them. Then we're gonna come back and send them to doc for approval. So we're not sending her um, a bunch of erroneous information or things that just won't work or things that are full of typos or errors or whatever. We'll send her a well thought out packages for approval. And then those policies will become the governance documents for the entire internship. Does that help? Okay, finally, policy non-compliance. Now there's a lot of schools of thought out there right now about should policy compliance have a punitive component? Most policies, in fact, almost all of them, 
in the compliance section read up to and including um, termination of employment. If you get caught not complying with a policy, um, you could be terminated for not doing it. Any company you go to is really going to have policies, going to have that language around almost every policy that they put in place. Because again, what is a policy? It's the overall values, why a company is doing something. And it's extremely important that policies are understood and followed. And if they're not, there has to be, um, there has to be repercussions. So this is kind of advanced and we may not get there um, this year at PGIP, which is policy monitoring. So there are some things that are easy to monitor. For example, again, I'll use the access and identity management. It's easy to monitor if that's done because you can look for evidence, i.e. the audit spreadsheet. So if someone has done the audit and submitted the spreadsheet to information security, then you followed the process or you followed the requirements of the policy. But what do you do if that doesn't exist? That's when you get creative around how do we figure out if a policy is being followed? And that's one of the questions that has to be answered before we send the package to DOC for final approval. Can we comply with this policy? It's not gonna do any good if we, do, if we put something in place that you can't comply with or we can't measure compliance. So we would do manual monitoring. Non-compliance will be reported to the Information Risk Office. The Information Risk Office would con conduct a, com a confidential review to detect the problems. We'd schedule a review, we'd investigate, collect the facts, take corrective action, escalate as necessary, and then record non-compliance and make appropriate changes. Now, there are some occasions where non-compliance with a policy might be justified. So if someone's life is in danger, of course, but if um, something was done by accident, wasn't intentional, that could be a non-terminating offense. Um, a lot of conditions like that might exist. So it isn't always cut and dried why a policy may or may not have been followed. There's also automated and um, systematic monitoring. So we can put these controls in place on the back end to comply with a policy. For example, when you're doing the access and identity management audit, after the audit, we look at all the applications that are across the top of that audit sheet, and then we look at the controls within those applications. Have we configured those controls to prevent access if it's not appropriate? Have we put controls in place within those applications? Can the applications do it? To monitor activity within those applications, have we done that? So that's what I'm talking about with the systematic monitoring. So routine monitoring um, by the Information Risk Office, internal audit and managers can do this. Random monitoring, monitoring can be done by testing teams and they'll discover problems. So some of the things I talked to the cyber team about some of the tools that we currently have in place to monitor activity in AWS, we could detect problems. Some problems we detect might be policy violations, they might just be vulnerabilities. But this is the type of process we would use to discover and resolve that. Any questions? Everybody wake up. I have a point to add to that. Okay, Jim. 
Hey, Robin. So I was looking at guard duty today, and I noticed that we had one of our interns uh, log in from and, and uh, a successful login to an intern account from Costa Rica. Okay. So I saw that as, you know, obviously a problem. And so I had reached out and reached out, and then I finally found out that the person is actually in Costa Rica right now. Okay. Um, so I, I uh, kind of drafted a little policy. I talked to Kevin about it, um, about uh, if, if you're leaving the country or if you're accessing your, um, your account from somewhere other than you normally would uh, to kind of let us know. Um, that's just, it's a separate thing, but kind of along the lines of... Um, no, that's uh, awesome. So, see. so that requirement could go into an end-user computing policy, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so I have a list of policies. I'll show you that in a second. And so, the requirement is just like a credit card. If you're leaving the country and intend to log in, or you're leaving your normal login place, just let us know through an email that you're going to be somewhere else, and that would be a requirement. But I'm sure Purdue has international students. Question. Right? Yep. I use a VPN, and mine is randomly set to connect to wherever it chooses from Boston to New York mm -hmm. to Philadelphia to Dallas to. Yeah. And that's part of my security on my home system. Mm -hmm. I, I randomly do it so that, well, we're in cybersecurity. So that. For me, it would have to be the entire United States. So what you would say is that's how we word the requirement because different cases like this, and this is what we would discuss in the implementation okay. plan, right? So y'all are making my case. You're making it easy for me. So we would discuss, hey, Christopher, he's such a freak. He has his system log him in from all over the country just so he can't be traced, and that's fine. But as long as our system picks up that pattern from you, so just like a credit card, if if your spending pattern is from all over the country, the credit card company isn't going to flinch. If your spending pattern is one from one place and then it suddenly becomes from someplace way away, then that's going to flag them. And I'm sure we can set up controls to do that. Okay, because mine also does do international too. Yeah, so I have logged in Ireland before. <laughs> yep, that's just good. because when I'm working at school. I connect to their Wi-Fi, but I go through my VPN. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going against rules. I just don't want sniffing on my machine. We we don't have a policy for that right now. That's what we're talking about, right? So when we right. create the end-user computing policy, we'll make sure we put in a requirement that would account for those things. Perfect. Good example. Another very important piece of policies in terms of getting your um, house together, uh, getting our house all aligned, as, as Doc likes to say, our house in order, is everybody needs to get on the same page as far as nomenclature. So what are we talking about? That's one of the reasons I showed you the policy diagram. And now we're going to talk about how we actually label and number policies. So it's really simple. And we allow room for standards, procedures, notices, et cetera. So here's an example. We're starting information policies, information security policies at number 100. Why? 
because, right? Why are there seven seven notes in the musical scale? We're starting at 100. So for example, this information classification policy would be policy 100. Now, if we had some standards that would support that policy, like an information storage standard, there would be a dot one handed up added on. If there's another standard that supports the policy, dot two. Another one, dot three. Any other document, dot four. Can you have a policy subordinate to another policy? Yes, you can. And I'll show you that. Give everybody a chance. Take a breath. Now I've developed a list of policies, Doc, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, but this is a representation of the number of policies we should have and the number that we currently have. So we have one in review, two in progress, and 52 that need to be created. Now we're a small company, so don't get scared by the 52. We don't necessarily need all 52. Typically, what I like to see as an internal auditor, as an external auditor, is for information security around 20 policies. Everything else that you need to say about information security should be standards that roll up to those policies. So what's included in the 52 are additional documents that may report up or may be governed by a governing policy. So let's look at them. So I put together this list. So the first one, the Charter for the Information Security Steering Committee has been created. It's a high priority. It's in review right now. I have a formula in there that makes it 50% complete. And uh, Doc is the reviewer. The next one is the governance framework, which we're going over tonight. Yes, it's required, it's high risk, and it's in review. The next one was would be a, a standard or a procedure. So a document review and approval requirements. Maybe we'll create that right away, maybe we'll wait. But that one would be numbered 100.1. Then the next thing I think we should do is get our arms around information classification. What do we think is confidential? What is restricted confidential? What is internal use only when what is public? We haven't defined the type of information that are any of those classifications. So to get our house in order, get on the same page, we need to decide. What we're going to do is internal use only, and we don't have to decide it right now. Um, we can just talk through it. So internal use only, confidential, restricted confidential, and then this policy would define that. And then so on down the line. So. What I have included here are all the document types. If you take out all the sub documents like standards, this is the list of policies. And it's not as long as before. How many? How many do I have? Look at that, 21. So a total of 21 policies. So when I do that filter, you'll see, okay, these are the policies we need to run this shop. All the other documents, are really nice to have documents that we don't really need right now. And we can look at them in terms of low priority. There's one asset management because we really don't have any 
physical assets that we manage. So these I put at medium, which means I prioritize them behind the ones that I listed as an H. Okay, and we can go through that in a the, another meeting or leadership meeting. But this list of policies conforms to the nomenclature we define here in the framework. See how it all works together? Easy peasy. So I've been here for a couple of weeks and um, Jim has run a few policies past me, so have several other people. And another thing that's important about policies is that they're consistent in content. So what should we have in our policies? I don't think every policy needs a table of contents. Uh, a policy really should be no more than one to two pages because you're declaring the why a company is doing something. You're not telling them how to do it. So you really don't need more than two pages. Normally I don't see a cover sheet, but it looks pretty and I left it. So here's an example of the contents that should be in a policy. Let's look at them. The owner is extremely important. And uh, what some people would call this is whose who's throat to choke. I hate that phrase, but uh, who's accountable? Who's ultimately accountable for the policy and overall responsibility for its success? That's the document owner. Document history, you wanna know what kind of changes have happened, how many times the document's been reviewed. Overview of purpose and scope. Most of the time these topics are, are combined into a single one and it's a very concise paragraph or two paragraphs about why the policy exists. What's the background? What values do we have as a company that drive the need for this policy? The next section is the audience. Who cares? Who's this about? Who's it apply to? So this would be in here. You might say employees, employees and contractors. You'll see that a lot in uh, companies. It applies to associates only, but not to contractors. So this is an important section. The media section and what matters the most are the policy requirements. This section is, is everything. So the following requirements, you know, this policy requires the following and you list them out. Don't use flowery words that you use words like shall, must, will, never, should. Should means ought to, but not necessarily will. So policy documents should always have the phrase must, shall, will do something. Okay. Then the section is compliant. The next section is compliance, where we state the consequences of non-compliance, and then also who monitors compliance. You might have internal audit do it. You might do it yourself. The information security office might do it. Responsibility and accountability. This is really important when there are different departments that share accountability for a policy. So you might have it divided up. So the office of the CIO is accountable for part of it. The information risk office is accountable for part of it. Department managers is accountable for something different than the previous two. So responsibility and accountability section is very important. Reference documents. This is extremely helpful if uh, you're a newbie or even if you're um, seasoned in the company and you need more information on a certain topic. If the policy has links to other policies that are related, it makes things so much easier because you can just go into one policy and find everything you need to learn about that policy. Um, standards, procedures, and guidelines uh, will support the policy and they follow 
a very similar format. Any questions about that? Awesome. So let's see one in action. And Doc actually did this one. She, she read the policy and she did the requirement in it. So yay. So this is the Information Security Awareness Policy number 105. And if we go back to the spreadsheet, we can see that number 105 is the Information Security Awareness and Training Policy. Woo! So the awareness policy um, talks about everybody needs to have a basic level of security awareness and understanding. The objective is that everyone is trained and tested on security awareness throughout the internship. This section lists the scope. So in this particular policy, we separated overview, objective, and scope. In future policies, we may combine those. Audience. All PGIP employees and contractors, which is exactly what we just went through in the framework. Now here's the requirements. This is where the rubber hits the road. So this policy uh, mandates a security awareness program and it's owned by the cybersecurity department. It mandates that all new hired staff, contractors and temps must receive awareness training prior to um, related to their job function within seven days of hire. And the third requirement, the awareness activities will continue on a rolling basis. The next one, the program ensures that all staff maintain at least a basic level of understanding, and they may choose to do this in many different ways, maybe bulletins, maybe a newsletter, maybe phishing, um, phishing tests, things like that then overall pgip will provide staff information on the location of the training materials so we're obligated to do that and then the cyber department will deliver compliance reporting to pgip leadership now a couple key things about this phrase and this is where because i'm an auditor i pick up on things like this this requirement never says how often okay this says regular compliance reporting what is regular? Regular might mean weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly, annually. I was vague on purpose when I added this line because that can be determined later after the program gets its sea legs and you have a procedure around conducting the training. So regular training right now is enough. Later in the future, you might wanna say, hey, we need to do it weekly. We need to send a, a training uh, report up the chain or it's part of the weekly review for the interns. Uh, what does audit say? Um, I need, when I'm auditing, regu I, I call people on this because it's like should, ought to, but not necessarily will. Regular, really? How often is that? So if the business can define regular and then provide evidence that they did it regularly, as they defined it, then they're fine. Does that make sense, Christopher? Awesome. Okay. No, I, I understood what you're saying. I'm just saying it depends on, are you sort of for a chemical company? 
and they did it quarterly. I searched for an enterprise rent car, they did it yearly. So it's all yeah. about the business. Well, the requirements are very different for a federally regulated, <laughs> you know, like a chemical company or oh, a bank. Yeah. And for a car rental company, not so much. All they really have to worry about is Sarbanes-Oxley, you know, and financial reporting if they're public. But yeah, if you're heavily regulated, you're gonna see, and you're gonna see the words in there. But we're not heavily regulated, so we can get away with the word regular. Okay, so that was the first requirement. The next requirement deserved its own section, which is 5.1, and it requires each intern to take this ESET cybersecurity training and get the certificate and send it to their manager. So it's important that all interns read this policy and understand this policy. Can you change 5.1 to CS department and not IS? Yes. Can I do that right now? Neat. Look at all this stuff I'm learning right now. So yes, so this requirement got specific about the training that thou shall take. Five point one. Okay, it's not there. I'll change it later. So did you see that? Those sections weren't there. Is that the one we tested where Jim had to print out my certification? Yeah. Perfect. All right. I'll change that later when I'm not doing a presentation that's being recorded. So um, each intern must take the cybersecurity training and then must deliver their certificate to their direct manager and keep a copy for themselves. This requirement says that cybersecurity will do social engineering exercises. So it puts the reader on notice that that will happen. And then 5.3 is a requirement that states that remedial training exercises may be required based on from time to time based on the results of some training. So a risk-based assessment. So that's it for that section. And then compliance and non-compliance, usually we would just make this section one word, compliance. It's mandatory. Penalties for non-compliance. So this is where I'm on the fence, and I said this in the in public um, a couple of days ago, which is punitive actions for non-compliance with a policy. But I understand that in this environment, we may need to track in a certain way. It also reduces risk. So let's look at those. The first one is non-compliance. So if a failure means you didn't complete the required training within seven days, um, you failed a social engineering exercise, um, and here's the types of exercises that could have been failed, could be considered, quote, unquote, a failure. Opening an attachment, enabling macros, allowing exploit code, um, entering data on a landing page. So if all those, those things are considered a failure, so we've just defined what fail means. And then later in the policy, we talk about, okay, what, what is the escalation if there are failures? And let me skip down to that right here. So if, if an intern or an employee, um, if they fail one time, then they have to complete, um, re do it over again. 
If they fail a second time, then they have a meeting with their manager. If they fail a third time, they have to meet with the director and explain why they did it. If they fail a fourth time, they have the meeting with a manager and the CIO. Honestly, no one should ever get this far. There's something really wrong if they don't take that, that ESET course. Fifth failure, formal review with the head of human resources. Sixth failure, potential for termination. Yes, Doc. Well, it's not, re not really that important. I was just thinking, but we can talk about it another time. Uh, when they first, when the interns first come in, it's like we give them their email and a Chime account, which I'm going to talk about on Monday. But I think we need to, if we go through everything that we give them, having to pass that before they get those, some of those things can be like a reverse, well, an incentive versus yeah. a punishment. You know, yeah. it's an incentive. Well, here's your email address, but you can't get everything else until you've completed your security training. And yeah, that's that, yeah, and that holds them back. Mm -hmm. I mean, they want it. They'll, they'll want the rest of it. So that's the way to do it because we only have so much uh, ultimate power. Like I can't kick someone out of the internship. Right. <laughs> sure. You know. Yep, yep, absolutely. And what we could do is we could put that as a requirement in the onboarding policy that they must do the ESET training. Right. Okay? That's what I was saying earlier, the whole the welcome packet, which we can talk about once again in the Monday meeting, but all that needs to be revamped. I love this policy. Good, and I good. Love that. So uh, and here's a quick question, too. So mm -hmm. would the the intern, the incoming intern, uh, we would have a link, say, in the welcome packet or however we choose to do it. And one of those links would be to the policy and to the training. Or we yes. would, okay, because they have to read the policy, too. That's what I was thinking. You can't yep. just take the training. Okay. Sure. Yep. It just gives me something to wrap my mind around and get prepared for the next meeting. Yep. Excellent. Um, and then Jim makes a good point, right, that um, the process flow would be onboarding. Uh, they do the onboarding stuff. They sign their W-4 form or whatever it is we have them do. Um, they get their credentials, and then, boom, they read the policies. They have to do the ESET training. They have to get the certificate and send it to their manager before the next step. And then Jim's department has a control that says, okay, I have an access request to AWS. Do I have a corresponding certificate that that person took the training? No shoot it back to the manager and say, I'm not granting access until this person completes the training or you send me the certificate. I love controls. I'm an auditor. That's a control. It's perfect. Not even an email, Jim? <laughs> no, I'm really, and I'm saying this um, genuinely because yep. I really want this to work for us and we're doing such a good job. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, that's what I'm saying. So we're pretty much on the same page. I yep. mean, it would be fine with me. You join the internship. We let you know. They get an email to PGIPT, but yep. nothing else until they pass this. I like it. This. We're on the same page. Yep, absolutely. So um, can you tell me who owns the onboarding process? Well, it's a lot of hats. Um, okay. Marjorie does... Uh, like she sets them up on Freed Camp, and mm -hmm. 
and time clock wizard mm-hmm. uh, and all that. And I basically um, look at the survey. Well, I get their names, the survey of where they want to go, mm-hmm. what department. And then the IT support, Ashley, who's in Costa Rica, Ashley would um, get their get their email. I don't know if she got it from Jim or got it herself and then send out uh, that information, which we have to change now because I am all for starting with the email and no console or anything till they finish things. What we really have to do is come together um, in the leadership on Monday or whatever and revamp the whole thing. And I'm fine with that because I think it's not it's it's too. Like, remember when you modified the welcome letter? It's yep. too much. Yeah, it is. I've known that forever, but I just, you can only so, do so much. Back in the day when I was in the internship with you a few years ago, we had a great HR guy. And myself and what was her name? I don't know, Alicia, Amanda. So Amanda, yeah. uh, Amanda and I, we got together and we had that onboarding process. And it was like a checklist. And you couldn't go any further in the checklist until that item was done. Do we still have that? Do we do that here? Well, uh, no, no, not like you and Amanda. Okay, and, let's, you know, let's and that. Off, yeah, and Amanda went off and started having her baby. She got I married. know. We're That's friends on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, people have lives. But I would really like to get back to that level okay. of organization. For sure, the more that we do this, the more organized we get, the more fun we can have. There's fun. When things are controlled, it gives you all that extra room to be creative, to have fun, to learn more. So that's what I'm trying to get back to in AWS. We had all that stuff. We brought it over in Google. And like I said, it's all archived and it wouldn't fit this platform anyway. So I'm really glad we're doing this. Good. Excellent. And um, when I was the information um, uh, the information risk officer for Capital One Bank, we went on a we went on a tour, right? And so all the leadership team, we went to every location and we gave speeches basically, so they could get to know us. And I started every speech with, you know, I'm Bob and I'm from the information risk office, and you know, you hear a groan in the room, right? <laughs> and the reason for that was. I deal with policy standards and internal audit, and I'm the compliance person. And so everybody groans when they hear the compliance person, when especially when you're heavily regulated. So I always said, you know, I don't wake up in the morning trying to think of hot ways to make your life worse, right? I don't wake up in the morning trying to think of ways to make your life difficult. That's not my mission. And that would kind of break the ice. So please, my message to you is don't get overwhelmed by this rigor. And so to reinforce what Doc just said, when we have this level of rigor that's holding up the house, then that gives everyone living in the house the freedom to crank it up to 10 because we have it under control. Can I get an amen? That's true. And I'm going to say this and then you guys know I have to run because I have to go teach. But yeah. the whole thing is like, you know, and and I'm on that. Like I went to law school and, and when you think about it, we are a people of laws and you don't realize how much that means to you until they're gone. Right. You know, and the things that you thought were were, you know, one plus one equals two suddenly equals four. And, and it's <laughs> craziness. 
And it's just like that has been, you know, after four years of doing the internship, this transition, which is normal, it's normal. We went to a whole new system. But after three months of this new system, I was starting to be cross-eyed and and stuttering. I was like, you know, I'm lost. We are people who prefer order and laws. And so I'm so happy. And, uh, you know, Jim and the cybersecurity team, and we've got a lot of strong people with us now that are really on board to get that done. I mean, yeah. the first week Jim was here as an intern, he's been around like from Gita. I mean, I think he wrote twice. He says, you know, this is misspelled. Talking about in the, he was, he had read through every single thing to make sure it was accurate. So that's the level, you know, I'm so grateful to have it. And so thanks for all you guys do. Thanks, yeah. Doc. Thank see you. you. Later. I'll see you next time. All right, then. All right, everybody. Any questions? That was fun. I know policies can be kind of dry and not exciting, but seriously, when we've built the foundation, then you can run. And I don't think, thanks, Nick. I don't think that it's going to take a long time. And some of you are graduating or some of you are getting close to the end of the internship. You could still keep doing what you're doing. And the people that stick around and aren't graduating right now, you know, you can help us get this house in order. And then once it's in order, it's game on. All right, Dylan, later. Any questions from anyone? I can give you back six minutes. (laughs) Yep, good job on the policy and cyber team. Um, She's really impressed with this policy, and I'm going to use it as the model for all the ones that we create in the future. Cool, right? Okay, everybody, thanks for coming. Any thoughts on the SWAT, Anthony? Yes, I am missing one. So I have everyone's except the lady who's in Costa Rica. Were you not able to, I am reattaching it here. Yep, I got it, nope. So I got it from everybody except um, the, the Ashley. Anybody here from Ashley's team? Nope. And just a preliminary look at some of the SWAT stuff, very similar. And, you know, a lot of effort on the ideas and stuff that came in. I'm very happy about that. So I'll be putting that all together and getting it out um, to the leadership team and we'll come back with a list of projects. It's going to be fun. That answer your question, Anthony. Pardon my dog. Thanks. You too. All right. If there's nothing else, I will uh, stop the recording.